And uh, we love his word and we'll gather around his word just now. We're going to read from Luke chapter 1 again. And we're reading from verse 46 down to verse 56. And just before we do that, just in case you weren't here last week, we're looking at um, a Christmas song as our kind of Christmas uh, sermon series through Advent. And we're looking at some songs that um, are found around the the birth of Jesus. And uh, last week we looked at um, the song that Elizabeth sang. uh, It's like a blessing over uh, Mary that she sang, this blessing about blessed are you, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And as we turn our attention now to Mary's response, this song that is very well known to us, many of us have probably heard it being sung, the Magnificat, um, we, we need to hear that this is a response not just to Elizabeth's song, but this is also a response to what the angel Gabriel had said to Mary. But I think it's even bigger than that. This is a heart's response to many years of waiting, of growing up as a young girl and heeding the promises of old, the promises that God had given towards his people, the, about the, that one day someone would come and bring liberation and liberty to God's people, that they'd been in captivity. And as Mary has heard from the angel Gabriel, as he's spoken about, you know, you're, you're going to have a child. And, and, you know, Mary's like, how's that possible? And, and, and the angel tells her it's going to be because of the Holy Spirit's activity within you. Do you know, we, we see from Mary's song that we'll read in a few moments that actually it's so rich in Old Testament theology that she would have known the promise in Isaiah 7 about that the virgin would give birth and they'd call him Emmanuel. So let's turn our attention to Mary's song in verse 46 down to verse 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. Amen. So as I said, Mary had just heard the song that Elizabeth had sang, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And she spoke about how this baby John the Baptist left within Elizabeth's womb just at the presence and at the voice of Mary because of the one who Mary was carrying. And I love how, so Mary has just heard this this promise from the angel earlier on in Luke chapter 1. And then she goes and she sees Elizabeth. And we see Mary's heart as one of faith. Let it be to me according to your word was her response to the angel. Let it be. Basically, she gave her amen to what the angel had said with the message that God had sent him with. 
And Mary's response is, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. I love how Mary praised, even in the promise. She didn't have to wait for nine months for her praise to begin. She didn't have to wait for this baby to be born. But such was her dependency and her trust. Such was her faith in God's spoken word that she could say, My soul it magnifies the Lord. Her praise began even in that moment. How many of us here, probably me, I would have done this. How many of us would have waited to see, well, okay, I'll wait and see nine months time and see what happens. I'll give it some time and see if this is really going to happen. Because we see that in the Old Testament where God speaks his promise to people. You know, we read that Abraham and Sarah, they laughed at the, 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 the promise that God would give them a child. But that isn't Mary's response. Her response is one of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And this isn't just empty lip service singing that Mary gives. This is the overflow of her heart. This is heart-postured worship. The worship that the Lord longs for and he calls for. You see, friends, there's a difference between singing and praising. And we want to go deeper in our worship. We want to go deeper in our worship in this place. Why? Because God deserves the best. He deserves the best worship, the best praise, because he's so worthy of it. And what we see is that Mary, she draws on God's spoken word. She pulls him to look at some stuff from the Old Testament. She's leaning into what God had said to her, not just in that moment when the angel came, but through years and years of reading the scriptures. She knew who he was and she knew his word. Mary praised God for what he was about to do. Isn't that quite amazing? For what God was about to do. And what we'll see is that Mary's confidence was so deep in God that she could speak in the past tense. She could speak in the past tense. Such was her confidence in what God had said to her that she could speak in the past tense, like it had already happened. The baby wasn't even born yet, but she trusted him. She didn't wait for Jesus to be born for her praise to start. And this outburst of praise from Mary is so rich, like I said, with Old Testament language. And we'll, we'll pull out from some of it this morning. We don't have time to go into all of it. But we see actually even how the Old Testament has influenced her response and her praise. The, the, the song that Mary sings here is very similar to Hannah's song that we have in, I think it's 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's a song that Hannah sings to the Lord and it's very similar in, in structure with the praise that, that Mary offers here. But it's also, we see similarities between this praise song and also uh, songs and, and psalms that we see within the book of Psalms. And, and one of the similarities we see is even in verse 46 and verse 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is really poetic in language. And, and don't be confused that when she, uh, the English here says soul and spirit as if it's two different things. Actually, she's saying the same thing in those two verses, just in different ways. 
My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And what she is doing here is called poetic parallelism. There you go. There's a hard word to say on a Sunday morning. Poetic parallelism. She's saying the same thing, but in two different ways. And it's just pulled right out of the Psalms. My soul, she says, it magnifies the Lord. This isn't lip service praise. This is praise from the very depth of her being. The very depth of her core. That's why she's talking about her soul and her spirit. It's from the deepest part within her. And this is the calling on all true believers. All who trust in the Lord and all who call on his name. It is to glorify him. To magnify him. He's already all glorified. And all glory, it already belongs to him. And it isn't like Mary's going around and finding bits of glory that God has lost. That she needs to return to him. That's not what she's doing here. But from the very depths of her being, she's exalting God for who he is already. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul glorifies is another way the translation can sometimes be. Mary teaches us something about worship in this moment. She teaches us it's, it's not Ian's responsibility. Ian's not responsible for the worship of Sandy Hills Parish Church. The responsibility falls on you. Because worship is something not external, but it's something that takes place within our hearts. You need to be able to say, and I need to be able to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. And see, the more that you read his word, the more you spend time in his presence, the more you put your faith in him, the more you can say, my soul magnifies the Lord. Because you learn who he is. You learn his promises. You learn how trustworthy he is. You learn how worthy of our worship that he is. That we can say, my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. The Lord, we see Elizabeth use this phrase as well, but Mary also adds in, God, my saviour, in verse 46. Friends, Mary knew she needed saving. She knew she was a sinner. And we touched on this last week about how some, in, some, in some ways over the years, Mary has been lifted to a place that isn't hers and doesn't belong to her. But actually, I would say from Mary's song, it's a place she doesn't even want. Because she's bending her knees before the Lord here. This is a, this is a song of, of humble adoration. Humble adoration. So don't lift Mary to a place that isn't hers. She knew she was human just like us. She knew she needed saving because she was a sinner. Mary knew she depended on God. There's a discussion around what this word saviour means. And some say that Mary would have taken it from a socio-economic liberation point of view. That actually, and, and we do see evidence for that where she talks about in verse 48 about her humbly state. That she, she came from a low status. That she wasn't much. There wasn't much to Mary. She came from humble background. A humble estate. And we do see that that's something that Christ came to do. He came to bring good news to the poor. And, and we had Callum Henderson come and speak to us a few weeks ago. And he shared with us actually about how, how you know, within the gospel... 
If we are gospel-believing people, we need to have a heart for the poor. It's part of God's kingdom. It's part of his kingdom advancing. We see it through the pages, not just of the New Testament, but the Old Testament. But I would say that actually the socioeconomic stuff we see, the problems we see within society, that people are poor, that people are living in poverty, that children are going to bed hungry, that these things are fruits of sin. And yes, Jesus came to deal with them. And we see his heart for the poor. We see his heart for the marginalized throughout the Gospels. It's who he ate with. It's who he drank with. The down and outs. The people who were on the edges. But those are fruit problems. And thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just come to deal with the fruit problems. But you came to deal with the root issue. Which is the issue of sin. Jesus didn't just come to do charity work. And I would say there's a movement within church life. And we see it, especially within the, 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 the church of Scotland, with this, this increase in, in the social gospel. That it is a part of the kingdom. But just as we see the one who came to prepare the way for the Messiah, he would say, repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. And actually, Jesus didn't just come to deal with the fruit stuff. He came to deal with the root issue. The issue of sin. And that's why within Mary's uh, word, coining of the word saviour here, all of that was probably included. Yes, the humble estate. But just as the angel would come to Joseph and say, you're to call him Jesus. Why? Because he'll save his pe my people from their sins. And here we see Mary's reason for worship. Why her soul needs to magnify and why her spirit rejoices. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Like I said, Mary shows us a bit about her background, that she's come from humble beginnings, a humble estate. And, and, and within, within that word, it, it connotes like social uh, and economic deprivation. That's what that word is, is meaning. She didn't come from much. And, and I love that even in this very moment that we see such a beautiful glimpse into the gospel, a beautiful glimpse into the heart of the nativity story. That God, in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty, as Philippines would tell us, would set it aside. He'd put it to the side and humble himself and become flesh. Be born into a family that came from a humble estate. And we know the story. He's born not in a palace, but he's placed in a manger. And in this, we see into the tenderness of God towards his people. He says, for he has looked. He's looked. One of the names for God in the Old Testament is Elroy. The one who sees, the God who sees. That's what Hagar said. That's what she called him. You're the one who sees, you're Elroy. God has looked 
on a humble estate. Isn't it precious that God doesn't look past us, but he sees us exactly where we are. And he saw Mary in her humble estate and he used her for his glory and for his plans of redemption. Isn't that precious? But you know what's just as precious? Friends, he saw me in my sin. He didn't look past me. But he called me by name. And if you're in Christ this morning, that is your testimony as well. He didn't look past you. But he saw you exactly where you are. Because he is El Roy. He's the God who sees. And he sees exactly what is going on in your life this morning. He sees exactly the struggles you're going through. He sees exactly the burdens that you're carrying around. He sees exactly what keeps you awake at night and makes you cry yourself to sleep. He sees. He's a God who sees. He always has been and he always will be. And this morning, if you're not in Christ, he sees you. He sees you're here. He's called you here. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. Will you let him in? Won't you let him in? And Mary in this moment is saying, he's looked at me. He's seen me. Even from where I've come from, he's seen me. And all generations will call me blessed. Not because of who Mary is, but because what God is about to do through her. Remember we said that the the Jewish thought back then was that a woman's greatness came from the greatness of her child. The children that she bore. And no one would give birth to a child as great as the child, the child Mary would birth, whose name would be Jesus. No wonder we call her blessed. And from now on, she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Friends, Jesus makes all the difference. He makes all, we even base our calendar around him. That is how much a difference he makes. That's why we stand up at the first Sunday of the month and people testify to the goodness and the grace of God in their life. That I was a sinner, but God saw me, he called me, he saved me, and now I can live as a new creation in him. The old has gone and the new has come. And Mary says in verse 49, For he who is mighty and done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Do we see how little this song is about Mary? It's, it's hardly anything to do with her. The only thing that's really about her is that she's offering her worship to God. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Verse 50. From generation to generation. And Mary doesn't miss what is leaving her being blessed. It's nothing to do with her. It's all because of him. And I said last week, I said already this morning, many have misconstrued this kind of wrong theology about Mary. Mary was blessed, yes. But she was blessed because of how God acted towards her. He who is mighty, Mary says, has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him. 
Mary draws on three attributes of God here. He's mighty, he's holy, and he's merciful. We read in Psalm 24, a psalm that we've sung many times in our congregation here. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty in battle. This word Mary uses here about he is mighty is such an important Old Testament um, principle and theme. We see it even, we read it last week in Zephaniah 3 that God is mighty and he is the uh, he's the mighty one who will save, Zephaniah says. And is this not why Jesus has come? He's come to save us from our sins. He's come to save us from our sins. And, and he is mighty and there's nothing that can stand in his way. And we said that last week, not even a barren womb, not even a virgin, not even a filled tomb with the body of Jesus could stand in the way of God's redemption plan. And such is his might and power. We see that in the dialogue between Mary and Gabriel in chapter 1 verse 35. Which will hopefully appear on the screen behind me. And the angel answered. Mary's asked, how is this possible? I'm a virgin. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then the angel goes on and says in verse 37. For nothing... Nothing will be impossible with God. He is mighty. And he isn't just mighty and he isn't just powerful, but he is holy. He is the holy one, the, the holy one of Israel. And it isn't just his name that is holy, but everything to do with God is holy. That's what the Greek word shows here, the, the full person of God. Everything to do with him. He is holy. And in his holiness, we couldn't get near him because of our sin. There was a barrier between us and God. The issue of sin. But thanks be to God for this other attribute that Mary draws on, that he is merciful. And his mercy is for those who fear him. We see his mercy at work in the plan of redemption, which is about to be birthed. And we'll celebrate in a few weeks' time. He has done great things, Mary says. And this phrase is closely associated with um, the Exodus story. And we find this exact phrase uh, in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 10. Let me see if I can remember where Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods. The Lord of Lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. And here in, in Deuteronomy, we see the Exodus story kind of uh, with the people that have come out of Egypt and they're now um, on their way into transition into the promised land. And in that, we see God has sent Moses to bring freedom to those that were living in slavery in Egypt. 
And just as God sent Moses, God also sent Jesus. And we have the most and the ultimate Exodus story at work here in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 with the coming of the birth of Jesus, who would come not just to deal with the fruit stuff, but he'd come and deal with the root issue, the issue of sin, and bring us one day into the ultimate promised land. He has done great things. And this mercy is there for all who fear him. And fear isn't like being afraid of God or being scared of him. But it's having a heart of reverent awe towards him. Knowing whose presence it is that we stand in. Knowing who it is that we sing to and who we pray to. And whose scripture we read and whose sermons we preach in the presence of. It is God, the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The Holy One of Israel. The great I am. But Mary knew this wasn't just for her. And in verse 51, her attention changes from towards her, towards God's people. She obviously understood something of the significance of what was happening. And we see the Holy Spirit's at work. And it's obviously she's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And she's been brought to this place where she can say, He has shown strength with his arm and he scattered the proud in their thought of uh, thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty we see something of a prophetic slant in mary's song here where she starts to speak about future things in past tense language it's already done Because God has said it will happen. Isn't that amazing? And Mary uses this image of God's, um, about his arm being one of strength. Verse 51. And again, this brings us back to just after Exodus, when we have this, what only I can describe as a mental Bible passage. This passage, I just laugh at it, because it just reminds me of, of myself sometimes. They've been living in slavery. In, in, they've just come out of Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land. They've been living in slavery for hundreds of years in Egypt, God's people. And God has rescued them. God has delivered them. He has shown his power through the plagues he sent. He has parted the sea for them to get past. And then he closed it again, crushing their enemies. He's defeated their enemies for them. He has provided manna for them from heaven every single day. He even made water come out of a rock for them. And then in Numbers chapter 11, and this is the mental Bible passage, the people start to complain. They begin to complain. I think they must have been Scottish. They begin to complain. Why were they complaining? Because they missed melons and leeks. Melons, they missed the food that they ate in slavery in Egypt. Melons and leeks and onions, they actually mentioned those specific types of food. They were fed up with the manna that God was providing them. And they thought, wouldn't it be better if we went back to slavery in Egypt? Because at least we'd have a bigger menu. Is Is that not just crazy? So Moses goes and he complains to God about them because his ears are starting to hurt because the people were complaining so much. And Moses says to God, God, wouldn't you just let me die? I am fed up of these people asking for meat. Read Numbers chapter 11. I'm not making any of this up. Honestly, it's quite remarkable. Let me die. I'm fed up with these guys and gals asking for meat. 
And God says, I could provide meat for you. Moses questioned God, how would you even do this? Then God says to Moses in Numbers chapter 11, It's the Lord's hand shortened. Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. It's the Lord's hand shortened. Is his arm not strong enough? It's another way to coin that. Isaiah would go on in Isaiah 59 where he'd say, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And when Mary's speaking about the arm of the Lord here, what she's speaking about is God's power. That God is powerful and he has the power to save. He has the power to save. And then we read of what would happen to those who don't have the fear of the Lord. Those who don't walk with him in in humble and reverent adoration and worship. Those who aren't the Lord's. We see that in verse 51 down to verse 53. We see some of the things that Mary speaks about. That, that, that they're, they're, they're self-built kingdoms, that their pride, it will crumble before them at the coming of my son and the kingdom that he will establish that will last forever. And we read of that in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 from David. And if you're not walking with God this morning, the Bible tells us that actually we're living in sin and that makes us an enemy of God. And because he can't look upon sin We can't get near him. But in his steadfast love and his great mercy, his great kindness, he's prepared a way so that we're no longer enemies, but we can be called children of God. And Mary speaks about the two realities that the coming of Jesus has brought. That some will be filled up, but others will see their kingdoms be destroyed and crumble before them because they're like the, the foolish man and they build their house upon sand. And that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why? Verse 54. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In remembrance of his mercy. Friends, how can we have such confidence? How can we have the confidence of Mary? Because our God isn't just a God who makes covenants. But he's the God who keeps covenants as well. He makes his promises and he keeps him. His word is dependable. One day a woman was um, caught speeding by an officer. And this officer had just joined the force. So he came over to her and said, um, Can I see your driver's license, please? You've been speeding. I don't have a license, she said. And well, can I see proof of registration of the car? The officer asked her. Uh, I don't own this car, she said. I I stole it. He said, well, I'm going to have to ask you to step out of the car. You're going to have to come with me down to the station. She said, I can't do that. I've kidnapped my neighbor and he's in the boot. So this new officer was a bit worried. So he took the keys out of the car and ran to his own car and radioed back for backup. So this senior officer comes and he begins to approach this woman in the car. And he's a bit scared because who knows what's going to happen. So he asks her, can you step out of the car please and open your boot? Certainly, officer. She got out of her car, went and opened the boot. There's no neighbor in the boot. Can I see some documentation of proof that the car belongs to you, please, ma'am? Of course, she hands over 
proof of registration. And can I see your driver's license? And she hands over her driver's license. And the senior officer was very confused. And she could see this on his face. So the woman asked him, why do you look so puzzled, officer? He said, well, the other officer radioed back and told me that you'd kidnapped your neighbor and there's no neighbor in the boot. He told me that you'd stolen this car, but here you have proof of registration. And he told me that you had no driver's license. And you've given it to me. Ah, said the woman. I'm sure he told you I was speeding as well, didn't he? Some people's word we just can't trust. But God's word is sure and steadfast. And we can trust in what he says. He is not a man that he should lie. His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And he remembers his mercy. He remembers the mercy he promised to his people. And Mary draws on her father. She am about to finish in a few moments. She draws on, as he spoke to our fathers, this remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. To Noah, he said in Genesis, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. To Abraham in Genesis, he said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. To Moses, he said, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. To David, he said, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, his He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And throughout the prophets, God reminded his people of his promise time and time and time again. And here we have Mary remembering, God, you are merciful because you've said you will be. Your promises are yes and amen and I can trust in your word. And here we have Mary, this peasant girl who's come from humble backgrounds. And we see from her that God has remembered his mercy and his plan of redemption would be birthed through Mary and Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us, shall come forth. And friends, we sit here in 2021 thanking the Lord that he remembered his mercy. I want to remind you this morning though that Jesus has given us a promise that one day he will come and he will take his people to be with him. That promise is as true today as it was the day Jesus said it. Why? Because the word, the Lord's word is true and we can trust in his promises. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your goodness towards us. We thank you for your mercy this morning. That mercy that is new every morning. And Lord, we can but cast ourselves upon your mercy. God, I thank you that you are the one who sees. You see our heart. You see where we are. You see what's going on. And Lord, thank you that your word 
never fails. It never returns to you void. So God, help us in this place to stand upon and build our lives upon the promises of God that we find in your word. And it would, would it lead us to that place of praise that we can only see because of your goodness towards us, your faithfulness to us. My soul magnifies the Lord. So Father, be with us now, we pray. In Christ's precious name. Amen.